0: You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Tim Abbott on Sunday, November first, two 2020 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. We are in the midst of walking through the book of 1 Samuel, and for the past few weeks we have been introduced to one of the most flawed but most loved men in the Bible. We've been introduced to, to David. Uh, the shepherd boy, the young man who defeated the giant Goliath, the military leader and future king of Israel. Uh, what we have seen so far from David is a confident, gracious, courageous young man who boldly proclaims in the face of adversity that God is more powerful than anything in this world. We have seen him victorious over Goliath, victorious in battle, and he is making his way from, from shepherd boy becoming king. There have been songs written and sung about David, even in his time, about his greatness, and it has enraged the current king, Saul. It has driven Saul to try and take David's life. Jealousy and anger have overtaken him, and he has turned all of his attention to killing God's anointed man, to killing David. There have been attempts on David's life, and there will continue to be attempts on David's life. For most of the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, David will be fleeing. He will be running, escaping from Saul, running from his enemies. And so while we work through these next few chapters in a matter of weeks, for David, I just want you to know this is not a matter of days or weeks that he's on the run. David will be on the run for years. Scholars believe it was at least three years and as many as seven years that David is on the run continually avoiding the murderous wrath of Saul. It is difficult sometimes to, to comprehend uh, time in that way. But as we, as we understand David, as we understand what he's going through, as we look at what Joe just read and some of the psalms that he wrote during this time, we have to understand that this wasn't a bad day. This was a bad number of years. Um, it is also difficult to, to move beyond just learning these stories, to actually applying them to our lives. For most of us, we will not experience these things in the same way that David did. Uh, But these stories not only lead us to a greater understanding of of God and our need of a Savior, but specifically today, this story helps us grapple with with questions that are common. Like, what are God's purposes in our pain and trouble? Does, does, Does having faith in God make any difference in the situation? It's nice to have faith in God in general, but does it make any difference in the moment? What is real Christian hope based on? Does God actually care about the pain his people suffer? How should we rightly respond to our fears? These are normal questions, and this passage will help us deal with them. What we're going to see from David is is a very complicated mix, a mix of fear and faith, a complicated mix of, of David taking matters into his own hand and trusting in God to protect him. Fear is a powerful motivator. Fear is one of the most powerful motivators in the world, and it can lead us to sin. It can lead us to distrust God. It can lead us to question what we know to be true about God. It can lead us to ask those questions. Does God really care about me? If you're going through a difficult situation, it can lead us to ask, does God really care about this situation that I'm going through? This is is, uh, the, the apostles in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 4, the disciples are in a boat with Jesus. A terrible storm comes upon them. Jesus is asleep, and they are very afraid. And they go to Jesus, and they ask this very question, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care about what we're going through right now? Many of us have asked the same question in the face of great difficulty. And so what we are going to see today from David is a mix of fear and faith. But what we will see from God is a beautiful combination of faithfulness, protection, provision, and rescue for His people, even when things seem most hopeless. So let's pray, Father. We we turn to you right now. I know that there are so many um, hurts, difficulties, fears uh, in this room, throughout this city. Uh, for those that are that are watching, there's so so many difficult things that that we are going through, so many difficult things that we are facing, and so. Father, teach us today that uh, you are greater, more beautiful, more powerful than all our fears. Um, You are more powerful than we could ever imagine. You love us more than we could ever imagine. And Father, I pray that that would bring us comfort today. Um, That instead of being overwhelmed by our fears and letting it drive how we act, that we would turn to you in those times, that we would turn to you and seek you and seek to know you and seek to know your power, um, seek to put our trust in you, uh, build our confidence in you today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, have, you ever, have you ever been uh, so afraid that it led you to do something uh, stupid, uh, so fearful that you just did something that made no sense whatsoever? I, I genuinely want you to think, what is the craziest thing you've ever done because you were afraid of something? Uh, this isn't the craziest thing, but when I was in seventh grade, I had a crush on a girl. She was uh, an older woman in the eighth grade, and uh, I, I would often uh, talk to my friends about her, and they would, they would encourage me to go and talk to her, and I'd say, it just, it just needs to be the right time. And they would say that I was afraid, that I was scared, and I would punch them. And, uh, and, and I just say, this, this, this is important. This needs to be done Right. Uh, and then one day, I went to the office, the school office, to pick up something. And on my, on my way back to class, there is no one in the hall except me and her walking right at me. This is the time. This is the moment. She is right there. I am right here. And right next to me is the door to the bathroom. And I threw open that door. I threw up in the trash can. And I ran inside. And I hid in that bathroom. I hid in that bathroom until the, until the school bell rang for the next class. 17 minutes I hid in that bathroom because I was determined right on the other side of that door, she was waiting for me to come out. I realize now it's probably not true, uh, but fear often leads us to do very strange things. Many of us fear getting older. We go to great extremes to cover that up. Some of us have such a great fear of, of poverty that we will do shameful and sinful things to get and keep financial security some of, us, some of us are so afraid of losing the lifestyle that we are accustomed to that we will f- refuse to freely and cheerfully give our time and resources to help others some of us are so afraid of what's going to happen on Tuesday that we go out looking for voices that will bring us hope but they often just lead to more fear and leaves our confidence hanging by the threads of the outcome of an election Many of us have a great fear of someone knowing the very worst things about us, that we go to great lengths to hide who we really are from anyone that could possibly see it, anyone that could possibly see the things that we're ashamed of. Fear often leads us to sin. It often leads to bad decisions. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we find David in fear for his life, scared of what will happen to him if he gets caught. He has escaped from Saul once again. He is on the run with no food, no weapons, no safe place to turn. As far as he was concerned, the entire country is out to get him, to find him and to kill him. It is a very dark and seemingly hopeless time for David. When we started with David, he had defeated bears, lions, and giants, and done it while loudly and boldly proclaiming the power of God. But now this same David is on the run. He is hiding. At this point, there have already been six attempts on David's life. And so David runs to a town called Nob. He ran there because in Nob, there was a tabernacle and a priest named Ahimelech. David has to think that this might be his best chance to find someone who would actually help. To find help since it it felt like everyone had turned against him. And so he goes to this sanctuary, this tabernacle, as he is in desperate need of food and something to protect himself with. So he comes to this place and he pro- approaches Ahimelech and says, it says in verse 1 Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling. David was one of the highest ranking officers in the entire land. David is possibly the most well-known man in Israel. And Ahimelech sees him walking down the road seemingly by himself to his place. Now, if you, if you live out in the country, you've got a better idea about this. If you've got a long driveway and you see someone walking down the road, you, you would become weary of who that was if you didn't know it. But if the, as they got closer, you saw that's the vice president of the United States. That's the guy who leads all of our military, and he looks disheveled, and he's coming to my house. You would probably feel something similar to fear, and so Ahimelech goes trembling to meet him. He's overwhelmed, and he asks, "Why are you alone and no one with you?" He doesn't say, "David, what an honor for you to visit us here." David, it looks like you're in trouble. What do you need? How can we help you? Now. He goes to him and just says, what? what are you doing here? Why are you by yourself? Many commentators think that Ahimelech a might have feared that an army was hiding, that a, an army was with David, but hiding around the temple, or that an army was chasing after David, and that David was now bringing the fight, bringing destruction with him to his tabernacle. And so David wants to calm his fears, and so David now gets creative, and he starts to lie. He starts to build a lie because he needs help. He needs help desperately. So David, for a moment, transforms into Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. I know a lot of you don't like Tom Cruise, don't like his movies, and a lot of you are wrong. Um, David, David is. Tom Cruise movies are really, really good. Um, <laughs> Shelby Murphy, I know you're watching. I know you share this with me. Um, We're going to do a film and theology of all Tom Cruise movies at some point. Uh, Nobody can save the world from imminent danger like Tom Cruise. He can run from monsters like nobody else. Um, If you come away with one thing today, please don't let it be how much I like Tom Cruise. Um, But David begins to create a story. He begins to lie to Ahimelech by saying that he is leading a top secret task force. In verse 2, he says, David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I've charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Listen, I know you've got questions, but I'm on a top-secret mission that me and the king are the only ones that can know about. I've got some young men somewhere, don't ask about them, I can't tell you where. No one can know the details of this mission, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Don't ask any of the details, but you're going to need to give me some things. David is only going to give Ahimelech enough to get the help that he needs. We know for certain that David was lying. Saul, Saul had certainly not sent him on a top secret mission in the middle of trying to kill him. Uh, David more than likely either did this to protect himself or possibly to protect Ahimelech, maybe he convinced himself that Ahimelech would stand a better chance if he didn't know the real reason that David was there. But whatever the intention of his heart, it was a bad plan, and it would end up being very costly for Ahimelech and others. But David had decided this was what he needed to do to get what he needed. And so we're told in verse 3, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or just whatever is here. It is very clear how desperate David is. Give me five loaves of bread or just just anything that you have. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? David goes deeper into his his story. Whenever I go out, we keep our vessels holy. But how much more today with this top secret important mission? We are all very, very holy. Now, let's get to the bread. So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread but the bread of the presence or showbread which is removed from before the Lord to be placed by hot bread on the day it is taken away. David is hungry, probably very hungry, and the only thing that Ahimelech has is the bread of presence, a holy bread that according to Leviticus was only meant to be eaten by a priest and his family. Ahimelech is willing to provide this even though it is technically not right for David to to eat this. Jesus himself would commend this moment when he is being accused by the Pharisees of violating the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12. He would point back to this moment. Ahimelech rightly sees the opportunity to extend mercy and provide for someone in need and and knows that that fulfills the law that God gave us. And so God here doesn't just give David a little bit of food. He gives him a reminder of who he is. God gives him the bread of presence. This was a reminder of God's presence through provision. He was saying to David, I'm here, I'm with you. You do not need to be afraid. God is loudly proclaiming to David, you are safe because I am with you always. God provides the right man and the right provisions for David, even though David is being deceptive and might not have good motives. David is reminded of God's presence and almost as quickly David is reminded of the danger that he is still in. We're told in verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. God has just provided for David. David should be focused on God's presence because he's just gotten bread. He's gotten the food that he needs. It's a reminder that God is there with him. But in that moment, he doesn't get a moment to, to rest. David's attention is quickly drawn back to the fact that Saul is still coming after him because David sees one of Saul's chief officers, Doeg. I remember when Jen and I were first married, we didn't have uh, much money and we had a couple of things come up on the same day that were not expected and, and we just didn't have the money to pay for them. I remember us sitting on the floor just looking at each other, feeling lost and hopeless, not sure what we were going to do. And later that day, without telling anyone about it, someone had left uh, an envelope full of money, and it, it, just, it just happened to be the exact amount of money that, that we needed. It was not something we had told anybody about. And God had, had provided. God had, had reminded us that we were not alone, that he was going to take care of it. But it wasn't a day later that one of our cars needed repair and we didn't have the money for it. And and this time, my, my response should have been God provided yesterday. Of course, He's going to provide today. God provided for us before. Why wouldn't He provide for us now? More confidence in God was what should have been our response. But I immediately went back to that feeling feeling lost and hopeless and questioning why God would allow this to happen. As soon as one need is provided for, David's attention is drawn back to his fear, drawn back to what he's worried about. You'll need to remember that name, Doeg. Uh, We will see him again, and it will be very bad for the priest. And and honestly, the worst part of it is we'll find out that in the next chapter that that David knew when he saw Doeg that it was going to be bad for the priest. But he still keeps going with this. He knew this was going to end badly, but he still keeps going with his lies to get what he needs. David makes sure he gets all that he needs from this place before leaving to protect himself. So in verse 8, David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? I just saw one of Saul's men. I, I, I kind of think I might need something to protect myself. For I have brought neither sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. David just keeps going. This was such an urgent mission that before I left, I couldn't even get my sword or my weapons. But I, I have time to stop here to get my sword and weapons. His story doesn't, seems to be coming undone. You have to think that Ahimelech is starting to get skeptical at this point. It was so urgent that he couldn't grab anything. It's a, it's a bad plan. It's a bad lie, and yet... God continues to provide and protect. God has already provided David with the food he needed, and now God will provide a a weapon that is meant to remind David once again, I am with you. I'm going to protect you. Verse 9, And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here. You can only imagine David's eyes getting wider and wider. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David probably can't get the words out fast enough. There is none like that. Give it to me. We're not told whether David knew this was there. Maybe that's one of the reasons he came. Maybe he knew it was there and he, wanted, he was hopeful that they would give it to him. Maybe he had no idea what had happened to it after he defeated Goliath. But, but here is David alone and facing impossible circumstances. And this priest just says, I don't think we have any weapons. Maybe we have one. It was built for a giant and you actually used it before. God provides another reminder to, God, to, to David that in the face of impossible circumstances, God has protected, provided for him, reminded David that he is with him. David doesn't have to fear. He doesn't have to take things into his own hand. God is saying to David, I've got you. Saul, the one who is chasing after you, was too scared to fight Goliath, but you went and defeated Goliath easily. And now I'm giving you back that sword. I'm reminding you of that day. God provides strength and encouragement when we need it most. And so in verse 10, David rose. And left and fled that day from Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Again, fear makes us do uh, strange things. We aren't told exactly what David is thinking here. We are not told exactly why this is the plan that David goes with. But for some reason, he thinks this is a good plan. Um, we have heard of Gath before. Can anyone tell me where we've heard of Gath before? Who is who is from Gath? Goliath. Goliath, the giant that he, he slew. Gath is one of the five kingdoms of the Philistine nation and Gath is the hometown of the giant Goliath. Goliath was the most famous Philistine ever and the most famous thing that probably happened in their lifetime was David killing Goliath. And so David chooses Gath to find refuge and safety. He chooses the place that he basically decimated to find safety in. There are bad plans, and then there's this. It is not just a bad plan to go to Gath, but he is now walking in with with Goliath's giant sword. The sword makes it so easy to identify, and it was made for Goliath, so it's going to be huge. It's going to be clear. The only person that's going to be walking in to this place with that sword that we aren't real clear of is David. It's easy to identify it. And it also makes it look like he's coming to kill more Philistines. Like this doesn't look like, hey, that guy's looking for refuge. It makes it look like he's coming for a fight. It makes it look like that, that he, he hasn't had enough of killing Philistines, and so he's coming to town to bring it to them. It is an insane plan. It is, it, is, it is a stupid plan. It just shows how desperate and hopeless a situation David finds himself in. Somehow he convinced himself that there was safety in the one place where the people might have hated him more than Saul hated him. And the plan quickly goes as bad as it should have. It says, but the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. We've heard this song a couple of times before. I don't know if this was David's first thought, but my first thought would be, I hate that stupid song so much. I wish they never would have written that thing. At this point, it has caused Saul's heart to turn against him, and now it is the thing that they bring up when he walks into this place. I'm sure at some point David took some pride in people singing it, but at this point, this is is his downfall. It was that song that was the spark that sent Saul after him, and now it is the thing that gives him away to the servants of the king here in Gath. And verse 12 tells us, David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. The intention here is to say that these words took hold of David's heart. The fear has now gripped him. It just settled in that he is in a place where everyone knows him, everyone hates him, and everyone probably wants him dead. He is looking around and realizing, I'm in a really bad situation. That song that said that David slayed tens of thousands means that David slayed tens of thousands of Philistines. No one in that place was untouched by what David had done. No one in that place had not felt the impact of what David had done. Everyone knew, everyone knew someone that had lost someone to David and his army. And here David comes into town carrying around Goliath's giant sword surrounded by nothing but Philistines. And David has to, has to think, I now have two kings and two armies that are going to be hunting me down. Two kings and two armies that want to take my life. And he becomes much afraid, very afraid. This is actually the only time in 1 and 2 Samuel that we're actually told that David was afraid. He certainly talks a lot about fear in the Psalms. Uh, He certainly goes through many situations that would cause someone to be afraid. But this is the only time that we're told that he was afraid. And I think it was because he's really afraid. He was full of fear. And as we are about to see, that fear just overtook him. He was nothing but fear in that moment. His fear had probably been there throughout the story. His fear had led him to lie to a priest. His fear had led him to make insane decisions like going to Gath to try to find refuge. And now that he realizes what a bad decision this, this was, his fear overtakes him and leads him to verse 13. So David pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. We love David, the shepherd boy. We love David as God's anointed servant to lead his people. We look up to and try to model ourselves after the David who takes a few men and in great courage goes into battle. We prop up David as a picture of what it means to be courageous. When as a young man, he killed that giant. When Saul told David he was too young to fight the giant, David looked at the king and said boldly, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The same David who looked at that giant and said, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. All those gathered here today will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. He didn't come with any weapons, he didn't come with any armor, and he still looks at them in the eye and and says, this is the Lord's, the battle is the Lord's. David was not the hero of the story with Goliath. The battle was the Lord's, and David will certainly not be the hero in this story. My little daughter turned four on Friday, and uh, for about a year, uh, she's been really into the movie Moana. Um, And uh, I have that entire movie memorized uh, because she likes to act out the movie. Not well, but she likes to act it out. And uh, she is always Moana. And I am every other character in the movie. Uh, Sometimes I'm the grandmother, sometimes I'm the chicken. um, But most of the time, I'm I'm Maui, the other character in there. Maui, the superhuman who has superpowers as long as he has his staff. And he reluctantly goes with Moana on, on 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 the mission to save her island. And towards the end of their movie, they're in a battle and his staff is nearly broken. And he says, I am nothing without my staff. He becomes fearful, gives up, and get ready to leave. And Mo- Moana pleads with him, tries to remind him of what he can do and that we, that we can accomplish this. She pleads with him to, to, to stay. Um, but out of fear of what will happen to him if he loses his staff, he leaves, and Moana is left alone, feeling hurt and let down. Uh, in so many ways, I have wanted to give that speech to David this week. I felt let down. I wanted to remind him of who he is and what he's accomplished, of what he can do. I, 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 want, I want him to stand up and be the David that we've heard these incredible stories about. I want him to look at this king and say to him what he said about Goliath. The Lord who rescued me from the, from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I want him to be bold and proclaim that, but he doesn't do that. The man who once slayed a giant and gave hope to an entire country is now so feared, filled with fear that he starts pretending To be out of his mind scratching the doors and drooling on himself it is not a pretty picture it is in stark contrast to the david that we've seen before he is now overtaken by fear it seems that he does not have the same boldness and has forgotten that god is with him he's trying anything and everything that he can do to get out of this situation fear is a powerful motivator and it will often lead us to sin to distrust god And many times it will make us to lead horrible decisions that don't make any sense. There will continue to be things to fear in this world. We will have times of fear that that is very natural and human. The fear may be of, of the uncertainty of the future, fear of difficult times. We are often afraid of the unknown, of being alone, of failure, of loss. Our fears are often very legitimate and reasonable. David's fear is not an unreasonable fear. But those fears often lead us to forget or stop believing that if God is for us, then no one can be against us. Many times we choose to fight that fear in our own power. We tell ourselves to not fear, or at least don't let others see that that, that we're trembling on the inside. Fear is a powerful motivator, and it leads David to an insane plan. And yet somehow, through David's fear and and Pretend insanity. It actually works. The king buys it. Verses 14 and 15, Achish says to his servants, look at this man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Achish looks at his man and then looks at David and he looks back at his man and says, why in the world did you bring this into my house? We've got enough people out of their their mind in here already. And so verse 1 of chapter 2, the end of his time there, we're simply told that David left Gath and escaped. He got out. Now, David is one of those heroes for many of us in the Bible, and because of that, we can tend to excuse a lot of what he did because he has so many good moments. But let's be clear, David's plan didn't work. David's plan was a bad plan. His plan was to go and find refuge and safety in Gath from Saul. That did not happen. His plan was to go to the king and in some way find refuge from Saul, but but it wasn't a good plan. He actually leaves with more trouble, fearing more things and increasing and growing fear. We don't leave this situation saying David was so cunning to be able to figure out a way out of this situation. We don't leave this passage thinking, man, David was a shepherd, a soldier, a king, and an amazing actor. I don't think the king believed he was out of his mind because David was just that good at acting insane. The plan worked because God was protecting David. God had a plan for David. The man drooling on himself isn't the hero of this story. God is. God preserved David, God protected David, even when David was filled with fear and in making irrational decisions. God's mercy and protection are on display throughout this story, even when our faults are also on display. It is God's mercy and protection that then leads David to greater confidence and praise. You see, while this is the end of this chapter, it is not the end of the story. David will go on to write two psalms out of the situation here, Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. I would encourage you to read them both this week. Out of this bizarre and almost ridiculous scene, David reflects and remembers his fear. He remembers how hopeless the situation was. And he remembers that God was with him. And that leads him to praise and greater confidence in God in Psalm 56. David doesn't shy away from his own fear. He doesn't try to write something that makes him look like the hero of the story. He says in, in, in Psalm 56 verse 3, he says, when I, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid. He doesn't say, I was afraid that one time. I was afraid once, but I will never be afraid again. Fear is assumed. When another time comes and I am afraid, in that moment I will trust in you. I will turn to you. He knows that it's very possible that he will be very afraid again one day. And David gives us the right response to that fear. When our fear comes, we turn and we find confidence in God. The right response is to be honest about our fears and then to trust in the one that is greater than all of our fears. Our fear can lead us to sin, it can lead us to bad decisions, but it can also lead us to greater trust in God, less trust in ourselves. We ask questions like, how should we rightly respond to our fears? For many of us, the way we deal with fear is that we try to play down our circumstances. We try to tell ourselves it's not that bad. But for David, if we're honest, it is that bad. Verse 5 of this psalm, he says that all day my enemies make plans to kill me. All day long they make plans to kill me. They don't stop. They don't rest. He wasn't overstating it at this point. They legitimately all day long are going after him. There is never a point where he can just rest and know, right now I don't have anything to worry about. He doesn't try to play down his circumstances. He doesn't just tell himself it's wrong to worry. It's wrong to fear, so stop doing it. God told me, don't fear, so stop it. No, David doesn't minimize what's going on around him. He magnifies in his heart who God is and what he does. David turns his eyes and heart to God and sees that God is more powerful than any army, stronger than any giant more in control than any king and greater than any circumstances. And that powerful, gracious, compassionate God is on David's side. We ask ourselves, does God really care about me? Does he he care about my situation? David proclaims in verse 8, you know my tossing. You have put my tears in your bottle. You know when I'm worried, when I'm anxious. You have taken my tears. You care About me. And then in verse 9, he says, This I know that God is for me. God has been reminding him again and again that he is present, that he is with him, that he is on his side, that he will protect him. And yet David keeps looking around and just seeing the things that he fears. But now David confidently proclaims, God is for me. Can you do that in your heart today? Do you believe that today? What would change if you could confidently say, God is for me? For David, it leads him to trusting God more than in his circumstances. He says in verse 4, in God I trust, what can flesh do to me? And again in verse 11 of Psalm 56, in God I trust, what can man do to me? The Apostle Paul would repeat this sentiment in Romans chapter 8 when he, he would proclaim, if God is for us, Who could ever be against us? What can man do to me? It is a statement that sounds courageous and confident. This sounds wonderful as a rhetorical question in poetry, but this is not simply a rhetorical question. The truth is, a man can do a lot of bad things to me. Men have invented ways to hurt one another. There are a lot of reasons to fear. To fear others, to fear the unknown, David had plenty of reasons to think, I don't want to even think about what, God, what man can do to me. The amazing thing here is that when David asked this question, What can man do to me? He is looking at God and seeing a more powerful, more wonderful, more beautiful God that is in control of all things. David is proclaiming that we don't have to fear anything, not because there's nothing to worry about, but because of the greatness of God. And he is proclaiming that with real firsthand knowledge of how difficult that is. His situation didn't just change. This went on for years. It didn't just improve. His confidence and trust in God had changed. Fear is not removed from our hearts because COVID just goes away. Fear is not going to be removed from our hearts because every politician that you want wins on Tuesday. Fear is not removed by the perfect job or enough money. Fear is deeply rooted inside of the hearts of a people who desire control, who want safety, who want comfort. And if we want fear to be uprooted from our hearts and minds, then we're going to have to turn to God. This is why Psalm 23 is so good. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I am walking in the middle of scary and fearful things. Even if I am surrounded by it on all sides, like David found himself in Gath, I will fear no evil. One who would walk through this Perfectly, to, to know that God is with me, that God is for me. We, we understand that in a more powerful and real way today, in a, in, a, in a greater way than David could in that moment, because we have seen and we have heard and we have known one that is greater than David. Jesus would come into this world and people would seek to put him to death. They would be relentless in that and they would have no reason to do it, but they sought his life. With David, his story is full of human sin and error, full of of trying to control things himself, and yet God protected him, God provided. Jesus would live his life without sin, face each situation in perfect obedience, perfect confidence in his father, but he wouldn't escape. He would willingly allow those who wanted to take his life to take him and put him to death. In 1 Samuel 21, it looks like the bad guys are winning. And when Jesus went to the cross, it looks like the bad guys had won. But God still provided, still protected, was still in control, still rescues. God's plan was not thrown off. God would raise Jesus from the dead. He would bring light out of darkness. He would bring light out of the darkest time in human history. In the midst of our darkest time, our God saves. When there is literally no other hope in the world, our God saves. When our best plans turn out to fail and fail badly, our God saves. Even while we are still sinners, still trusting in ourselves, our God saves. As dark and hopeless as it must have seemed to David in a prison cell surrounded, by enemies, hunted by armies who wanted to kill him. And God did a miracle. And as dark and hopeless as it must have seemed to his followers, when Jesus was arrested, beaten, and hung on a cross, God did what only he can do. He did the miracle of bringing life out of darkness, life out of death, and bringing Jesus back to life three days later, seated him on the highest throne and gave him a name above every name. God rescues David here from dying, but God raised Jesus from death to life, and through that, Jesus conquered his enemies, conquered the enemies of sin and death. And it's because of that, that now for everyone who is a child of God, for every Christian, no matter how dark and hopeless your situation seems. And I know there are so many difficult situations going on right now. In this room, at home, there are so many difficult situations. But we can confidently fix our eyes on Christ and know that the Lord is close. The Lord rescues. The Lord provides. The Lord is good. The Lord cares. The Lord is greater and more powerful than any and every circumstance. And then as Christians, we have the opportunity to comfort others. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.4, we're told God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we have received from God. When God comforts us, we have a responsibility and a call to go out and comfort others. We have the opportunity to go out and, and remind others of how great God is. And for anyone who is not a Christian and says, you just don't know the dark thoughts that I've had, you just don't know the dark things that I've done, you don't know how hopeless I am, you can turn to God and know that God saves. He loves to bring light out of darkness. He loves to rescue out of hopeless situations. He loves to redeem when we fall short of his glory. So turn to him today, turn away from your sin, turn away from trusting in yourself and believe and trust in him. For all of us today, let us be reminded of the great comfort that God brings, that God is with us in the midst of looking around and seeing so many things that would bring fear into our hearts, fear into our minds. Let us look and see God present with us, protecting us, at work for us. Let us be reminded of, of the gospel that when, when God sent his son into the world, it felt hopeless. But what was really happening was, was God was bringing about his glory and saving his people. God was doing a miraculous and beautiful work. Let us be reminded of that and let that impact how we live and walk, how, how we go throughout our days, even in the midst of so much uncertainty and difficulty. Let's be reminded of, of a God who, who, though we walk through the valley of the de- shadow of death, we fear no evil because of the greatness of God, because of how good and strong and mighty and glorious He is. Let's pray. Father, there is so much going on around us it seems out of control. Certainly seems out of our control. Father, each and every day, it feels like we are faced with things that would bring about fear, whether reasonable or unreasonable. So many things are at work to turn us away from trusting you, to turn us away from believing that you are in control, believing that you care, Believing that you have a plan and that nothing can, can take away from that plan. So Father, remind us of that today. Remind us that in the middle of these stories, as we as we see your people, as we hear stories of, of David, that we would not turn to David. That we would not put our hope in David. That we would not put our hope in, in, in people. But that we would put our hope in you, the one who is providing and protecting the one that that is at work at all times, that sees at all times, that knows us intimately and deeply and willingly and joyfully sent your son into this world to rescue and redeem a people. Let that shape our lives. Let that shape the way we talk. Let that shape the way we think. Let that shape our emotions. Let it impact us and shape us in every way. Remind us of that today. We praise you for it and we thank you for it and we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Tim Abbott at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.